there are two worlds surrounding you. One is the world they tell you about on the evening news. The other is the one they don't. You're listening to the Ian Wishart Investigates podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. I got captured once, I got captured by the Russians. I was at the end of a runway in Leipzig, and uh, I was in a tree. Next thing you know, there's a 357 in my head. Alan Brown's throwing me on the floor. While we were in the middle of the second day of meetings, the Secret Service showed up right, in Auckland, grabbed Cliff and says, get the hell out of here and get out of here now. We sat down in the White House with uh, President Reagan and had the Weinberger and Schultz were there, and I said... The Australian guy was picked up by the New Zealand police. He was deported back, he was sent back to Australia. He was assassinated 48 hours later. He was shot right through the Lincoln head. Episode 4. If you think this podcast series is going to be a fact checker's nightmare, you're absolutely right. It's chock full of original eyewitness accounts to events that have never been published to the pages of history until now. I was reminded of that while searching the web for references to Iran's attempt to use an Australian construction company to build an oil refinery in Tonga as a way to break an official embargo on Iranian oil in the late 1980s. When a Google search drew blanks, it soon dawned on me that it never made the news because only a handful of people knew at the time and most of them are dead. This episode is where this podcast shifts gear and the tyres begin to spin as former American spy Steve Dement reveals that New Zealand and American security agencies converged in Auckland to prevent a planned meeting between five Iranians and the King of Tonga in New Zealand. An Australian man was arrested at Auckland Airport and shot dead soon after causing the Tongan delegation and the Iranians to flee. You'll also hear how the CIA tried to control Royal Tongan Airlines. The events on these audio tapes took place in the late 1980s and early 90s. China was just starting to project its influence in the Pacific, and America, Australia and New Zealand were determined to counter that influence by expanding espionage efforts of their own. Today, with China forging potential military links with Kiribati and attempting to lure Tonga and Fiji into the fold, These interviews from 1996 create a real Back to the Future vibe. One housekeeping matter. The tape recording of the first five minutes of this episode was heavily degraded and needed some serious sound restoration treatment. I'm Ian Wishart, and this is episode four of my podcast, Great Sacks in Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy. At this point, Steve Dement is trying to recreate a peaceful new life for himself in New Zealand, but quickly finds himself sucked into the Pacific's money-laundering vortex. When we got down here... um Actually, my first job was with, a, with an import-export company. And they were a company that had strong relationships, like with Tonga, in, in doing the, um, the pump, you know, squash deal to Japan. It'd be grown in, it's grown in Tonga, it's shipped, and then they, they were the partners in that. So the first day they did that, um, the Kiwis actually screwed the Tongans really good. <laughs> Second year, the Tongans screwed the New Zealanders. <laughs> The third year, <laughs> I got set up there not knowing what was going on. Yep. And that's where I met Kane and Cliff. And I went up there to try to sort out a call. I didn't know the nature of it. That was when I arrived at the airport. I got a pickup in a limbo and they showed me the, the first thing they showed was the prison. <laughs> the second thing was the water tank where they hang people. <laughs> I said, this is not a casual trip. This <laughs> is serious. Um, and then from there, that was my introduction to the islands. I mean, not just Tonga, but 
because Tonga's got close ties, of course, with Samoa and Crooks. So it's all virtually all connected. Yeah. And uh, that was my first experience. So I had to go up there and sort of pacify him. But in doing so, okay, I, with Cliff, I managed to learn a lot about what was going on through Tonga and, and stuff, things that you don't normally think about. Well, if, I mean, they're banking laws. So you know, you, you basically, if you want to pull money into them, you can just. You, you, can I get another? Yeah. If you if you need a change in the banking law in order to put money through the government, okay, or money through the island, it's not a problem. They can legislate it in two minutes and get a sanction from the king or whatever. So it was amazing when you started looking at the laws of the islands. Was that there was never anybody was never prosecuted for for, for, for corruption. Nobody's ever prosecuted for money laundering. Nobody's ever been prosecuted. Think about it. All you've got all these laws, and everybody's up for sainthood. You know. Okay, let's build it. Let's start building the case from Cliff's angle and my angle. So that would be Cliff started out as a missionary, yeah. uh, Methodist with his wife. Um, he was not a wheeler dealer. He was not a hustler. He was just a good religious guy, and and started helping the king with favors. Now, in the process of doing that. King start, Cliff started exporting and importing. You know, it was like importing frozen turkeys, exporting fish. And he would do it on the telephone and make deals with brokers and stuff all over the world. And the first time he got involved with it was one of the brokers said, do you, can you access prime bank notes, letters of credit, yen deal, gold, any of those deals? Cliff said, well, I'm just, all I do is fish. <laughs> but then he started to find out about prime bank notes in the third economy. And with that, he got me involved into it to where Cliff and I were calling all over the world, okay, trying to hang together the deal where you have, you have the guy on one end that supposedly has the, PB, the prime bank notes, the PBNs or the LCs or the yen, and you got the buyer at the other end, and if you if you can magically hook them up on both sides, okay, then you've got you've got to it, and, and you had a principal on each side, and what you wanted to be, which is that you wanted to be next to the principal, so that you knew you had a real product, because there were a thousand billion brokers in the middle running around running up telecom bills. Now, when the first deal came across, that came across for Cliff, was a finance deal where it was Iran, but you can say Iraq at this point. What happened was is that is that Cliff got an offer, put an offer into a guy into Iran, and said, "I, I can get you prime bank notes out of out of the United States." The guy came back and said, "We're not interested in prime bank notes, but would you be interested in doing an oil refinery?" Okay, at this point. So when Cliff, the guys, Cliff said, "Oh sure, why not?" Okay, and in that deal was a lot of upfront cash that would go to the king. So it seemed like a good deal. And put an oil refinery on, on in Nukalofa. It was, it was all set up. Five Iranians flew out. I was involved in the negotiations. They flew out and landed at the airport. When they got to the airport, Cliff Auckland and I... Airport. Auckland Airport. And when Cliff and I went down there to meet him, there was also an Australian who was, in quote-unquote, the broker, who was the link. He was the guy that gave us the telephone number of these guys in the, in the, in the, in the in around. This is during the hostage crisis. Yep. And the, uh, uh, the ongoing hostage crisis or the embassy crisis? This was the on This is the uh, embassy. contract. No? Embassy would yeah. be going back to 1981, 82. No, 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 no. It's after that. Okay, so this is the contra hostage thing. Contra hostage, yeah. 
in. And so, so what happened is we, we met him at the airport and stuff. Hold on, I've seen it. Howling at the Moon Productions. Here you go. You met him from the airport? Yeah, the deal was simple. Oh, there, there was an Australian into the deal. The Australian's kind of important because he was the link. He was the one that linked us up. He was the go-between. The deal was really simple. The moratorium was on, I mean, the, the embargo was on full blast. And you could use it in a current phrase, you could use a rock. And what happened was, is that by putting an oil refinery on Nukalofa, okay, that meant that there was no, there was no embargo with trade embargo with Tonga, okay, none whatsoever. So crude oil would go over there, Tonga would then own that, that output that came off of that, and that would be available in the world market. And in doing so, there was literally hundreds of millions of dollars in cold hard cash that was going to Tonga, okay, to put up this refinery, okay? Well, well, and the money was coming out of Australia, which we seemed to be a little bit strange, but anyhow, that was it. While we were in the middle of the second day of meetings, the Secret Service showed up, okay, in Auckland, grabbed Cliff and says, get the hell out of here and get out of here now. Cliff took off and went up to New this was Secret Service at this point. They got a whole, Cliff got a hold of me and said, I'm on my way to a plane, I've got to leave, you guys got to get, you guys got to get away from those guys as quickly as possible. Fair enough. So, hang on, I'm sorry, it was CIA. Well, we got away from them, we weren't sure what was going on, we didn't have a clue actually what was going on at all. These poor guys sat at the airport, at the hotel out there, three or four days in a row, and we just would go out and take care of them, <laughs> take them to dinner, we were kind of trying to be nice to them, we thought the deal was still on. Cliff called when he got to Nukulofa, and he says, you gotta get the hell out of there, stay out, don't have anything to do with it, and, and the Australian, he's, he's, he's the baddest of the bad, get the hell away. So, we stayed back. He was, the, the Australian guy was picked up by the New Zealand police. He was deported back, he was sent back to Australia. He was assassinated 48 hours later. How? He was shot right through the Lincoln head. Whereabouts? Sydney. Okay. He was shot stone cold dead. Then the Iranians, when they found out about it, well, that he had been killed, the Iranians got on a plane and took off and disappeared. We never saw him again. Next thing that happened was, is Cliff got a visit from John Connolly, who was the governor of Texas. Okay. The man who was in the car with Kennedy and ended up with bullets inside him that managed to be retrieved that's, after he died. That's the guy. Yep. Same guy. At this point, he's the governor of Texas. He also owns Tidewater, which is the largest independent oil development company in the entire Blinken world. Okay. Tidewater is huge. Okay. He shows up in Nukalofa. Okay. Walks up to Cliff and says, do it again, even think about it again, and you're not going to live to see grandchildren. And had a meeting with the kingy, okay, and there was no talk of oil refineries, okay. But still staying within that network of the financial networks, Cliff and I kept on trying to do a yen deal or an LC deal or a prime bank note deal. Just out of curiosity, any of those deals come off? Into the, did you ever see any money out of those deals? Never. Never. Do you believe there's a real market for them, or do you think it's just people stringing it along? I think that that 90, 90, 95% of it is stringing along, but I think that I think that 
there is a real market and it exists and it really and it happens. But that what it is 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 that where prime bank notes and LCs used to be bank to bank deals, what we have here is the third world economy where if you're in the know and you're not not just some outside flaker blank, is that in that all that mire, yep. real deals occur. Get back to the assassination. Um, can you remember this guy's? We know he's a broker. How did he fit into the scheme of things? He was the broker that brought the deal. The reason was is he was the link between Iran and us. Okay. So he was approached by Cliff offering a prime bank note facility. Lots of money. Yeah. Okay. Heaps of money in a prime bank note deal and an oil refinery deal that would make Tonga rich and cash on top of it. He said, we're not interested in prime bank notes, but we'll give you the oil refinery, yep. the Iranians oil. Yeah, I mean, the prime bank note thing was a trivial thing. All they wanted to do was have an oil refinery there. Okay. Um, and I take it they caught no one for the Aussie, the Aussie attack. No. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so that was number one warning. That was number one thing that happened. Yep. Okay. Second one was... King was pressing at that point. The king was pressing more than ever. He wanted he wanted Royal Tongan Air. He wanted to have it. And he wanted the money to do it. He didn't want to come out of personal money. So we were pushing like hell to get a prime bank note deal done. So we both started working through a guy who claimed to be next to the principal on both sides. Okay? A guy out of Washington. Okay? Well, as it turns out, this guy, this guy's whole job, okay, is CIA. His whole job is to monitor calls around the world, to pretend he's a broker. Yeah. And that we couldn't do anything with them unless it was in writing. Now, the trade in prime bank notes and LCs in the United States is totally illegal. Yeah. Okay, can't be done. Okay. So we're working with it, and we're working with a company called Blackfin. Okay, out of Texas. Okay, and Blackfin supposedly is the holder of all the PBNs. Blackfin is the link to the Cook Island Trust. Okay. Now, in in the deal, we had a deal going, okay? Now, while this was going on and all this conniving was going on, Cliff was offered Cliff was offered another deal that was parallel with it, and it came out of the United States. A guy out of the United States who said, we'd like to, since you're representative of the king, we'd like to put a bank in Tonga, yep. and we'd like some favorable tax laws and things, okay? Yep. Well, guess what? He got it. No problem. King got his hand palm greased, and this guy set up this bank. And initially, it was set up as a MasterCard Visa scam. Yep. A guy named Wong. Yep. Him and the Crown Prince ran it. But basically, what it really was was that was the that was the biggest that was the laundromat that was the laundromat that was the that was the way of doing it. Walk through the dodgy credit cards, get it out, and away you go. Yep. Yep. And also, it was the way of washing the money that was coming in, like the Cook Islands, the exact same. Exact same setup for other banks, primarily Bank of America. Now, while that was getting set up, I started to work over the Marianas. I got sent to the Mariana Islands. Okay, and in the Mariana Islands, I was—that's you got to understand the Marianas. One, it is the closest U.S. dollar destination to Japan. Second, it is totally independent of the United States. Thirdly, it's treated like a state of the United States, but it's independent. And fourthly, they have secrecy laws and stuff that you just cannot imagine. And the banks are not FDIC. Okay. The reason for the casino, I mean, I went there thinking I was being all legitimate and, 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 and honest and 
of standing and putting a regular operation in. Yep. And it wasn't. It was just a pure laundromat. And it was, again, it was a transference of funds to go through it. So I got a hold of Cliff and I said, Cliff, I'm up to my ears in this thing. This thing is a huge, big laundromat. And Cliff said, oh, so what's no shit? We got ours here in Tonga. They got the one in the cook, so we got the one. You know? I said, what do, you want, what do you think we should do? And he says, well, let's bloody do it. You know, let's go ahead and do it. The guy that was a partner in that, his, his, his name was Hilbrum, Larry Hilbrum. Yep. Larry Hilbrum was the H in DHL. Yeah. And Larry Hilbrum. Who was ACIN? Yeah. So why'd he get bumped off? Larry got bumped off because Larry was going to run this, this laundromat out on, the, out on Tinian, which is an island. Yeah. And the governor of the, of the governor, okay. the governor wanted his own casino on the main island, on Saipan, okay? And he wanted to have that, and he'll friend saying, you don't want that. You, know, you don't want to know about that. You just, you just want to prove my casino on Tinian, okay? Well, as it turned out, as it turned out, the, the governor, who's still a governor, Okay. And wanted to have his casino. He now is having his casino built. Yep. The two guys had two partners. One was Larry Hilbrum, who was the DHL and the H. Yep. And the other guy was the Speaker of the House. Okay. In the Marianas. In the Marianas. Okay. They were our two biggest allies. Okay. In, in putting this deal on, and, and they were both very well connected with what was happening. Yep. They're both dead. <laughs> and the casino that the governor wants is going up now. There is a casino on Tinian, and it's in a temporary building about the size of a, oh. a villa. Yep. They average about 100 customers a day, and they're, and they're turning over about 10 million a day. Yeah, I love <laughs> customers. Obviously, local islanders. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So when all this was going on, and, Cliff, and when it was coming in, we expanded the deal even further, okay? King says, well, we're getting Royal Tongan Air. Let's put together a shipping line. So yep. he put together a shipping line. Genuine for real shipping line. Okay, says if we can get the shipping line going and prove that we can do, do handle freight and stuff, it's going to help our cause for the airline. Yep. Cliff said, fair enough. So we started it and we had three ships. Cliff got it started and got it going. And the king put it part of the funding and part of the funding came out of the Bank of America. Yep. Well, on the first, when, when we were putting it all together, a guy shows up and says, we can supply you with all the captains you could possibly want and need best cruise you could possibly think of, okay? And Cliff said, no, 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 this is for the Tongans. So we're going to have Tongan captains, Tongan crew, Tongan everything. I says, you don't understand. We have better crews, and we're going to put you on that ship. And he says, no, you're not. And the guy says, you don't understand, okay? You will have these crews, okay? Yep. Well, Cliff told, him to get, to, Cliff told him to screw off and everything. Well, on the very first voyage of ship, with a shipment that went, and it went straight to, uh, straight to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, to, Nand to Suva, um, it sank in the harbor with a big hole at the bottom of it from a, from a, from a blast, a dynamite blast. And the official response from the government was, was that there was, it was excessive leakage due to rust. Bloody <laughs> 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 big, big marine guy. Yeah, on the ship at the bottom of the harbor with rust. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. 
So it went down one night. So it went down. So we Cliff hired on the crew. Okay. Hired on the cruise that he wanted. Okay. And, yeah. the, and the cruise got put on it to this day. It's running shipping and to this day it's doing just fine. It has no more rust problems. Yeah. Okay. And it's not a big huge shipping line. No. Like just runs a regular route. Yep. Okay. Very strategic route, I might add. Yep. Okay. And in that route, is during that route, and the main reason they wanted it, is it's stopping at all of the tax havens. Yep. Okay? They don't give a shit where they carry bananas or what they carry. Why? Because they're carrying two pallet loads of money. Okay? And that's what this whole thing was about. This whole shipping thing was about. You can move stuff electronically, okay? But sooner or later, you've got to move real money. Sooner or later, you've got to move hundreds of millions of dollars of money, okay, in pallet loads somewhere, okay, and you've got to move it around mm. secretly. Because the tax haven banks are saying, shit, you know, if we're going to sit on a hundred million dollars a year deposit, we want to sit on it. We want to sit on it. So what happens is they physically have to move that. Don't forget, the money that's coming that goes through a tax haven, where did it come from in the first place? Well, it came from the black market, and it came from the drug thing. Who's, and you go back to the same thing, who's facilitating the laundering? Well, it has to be the United States economy. Yep. The United States economy has to do that, otherwise they don't have an economy. Yep. Okay? So here, we had, we supplied the shipping side of it to move the real money around. Except okay? you guys weren't doing that, you were doing a regular run? That was what was in, the intent was for you to do that? Do a regular run, that's all they wanted. They wanted a regular run from this from this tax haven to here, to Los Angeles, back to Sydney, back to Cook. Okay. See, it, it hit all the islands, yep. but it also hit Sydney, Tokyo, LA, Auckland, I think that was about it, Honolulu. Yep. So what happened was it would go and make its rounds, okay, pick up the laundered money that had gone through the thing, and money that wasn't quite so laundered, yep. put it out and distribute it out, okay, yep. to the things, and, and, and it was a way of shifting pallet loads of money. And that's exactly what it was, that's all it was. So it did do that. Yes, absolutely, no question about it. And that's what the airline was all about. They didn't give a stuff if there was a passenger on the plane. They didn't care if there was one piece of cargo. They didn't want to know about it. You know? They said, well, because saying, I think we should get a DC-10. And the guy says, shit, I go, fuck, we didn't get 747s. You know? We don't care. Because, because... Is that seat being used? No. So what happened with the airline was a couple of guys, I can explain it. Things were working well at the shipping. Yep. Now Cliff was doing the airline. There was an offer that came through to us, a prime bank note offer, that came through to us that said, from this prime bank note, just what you're going to earn okay, off doing the deal, which was 1% of the deal, and it was a 200, $200 million tranche. There was 10 tranches for $2 billion, okay? It's enough to fund your bloody airline, okay? And, we'll, and it was looking very, very real. It was looking really good. Cliff and I were getting excited because we had visions of actually having some money for the first time. Things were set. We had picked our airplane out. It was a DC-10. It was a guy named William who was in Southern California, who was an airplane broker who was selling it to us. That was our first plane. Um, by the way, William is in a federal penitentiary right now. Um, everything was set. We had the money we thought was coming in from a genuine source. It was a Bank of America deal. It was going through Mitsubishi Bank. It was the, it was the 
a genuine, it looked to us like a thousand percent genuine. The windows were scheduled, tranches were scheduled, yep. everything was scheduled. The only thing was, okay, in the process, was that Cliff had to go, okay, to physically get the money in Texas, yep. okay? And, and with that, he had to be part of this whole process. They wanted him to be there. They yep. said for his own, quote unquote, for his own security and for the king's security to see that the deal was actually going to happen. Yep. Well, it, at this point in time, he had already rejected the CIA as pilots and crew, okay, which obviously was the trigger point why they didn't have, that was the shits. Yep. Now, when all of a sudden the guy that we were dealing with out of Washington disappeared, okay, who was doing the deal, Cliff decided to go on there alone. Nancy said, oh no, I don't trust it. I'm really worried about this whole thing. I said, shit, I'm really worried because I mean, I'm watching pallet loads of money going out of the Mariana Islands. Okay, I mean, I said, look, there's something wrong here. Cliff said, no, no, it's a good deal. So Cliff went up, and that's when he was arrested in Dallas at the airport. Okay, now to fill in some more in between. In the deal, who was doing the deal on the DC-10 was shot and wounded. It just, somebody missed, okay? <laughs> and to do him away, because actually the deal was structured to where it was a legal deal. Okay, they, there was any he hadn't broken any laws or anything. Okay, but he knew too much. He knew he knew about the CIA crews. He knew about he knew too much, and he wasn't CIA. So when that when he did when he was wounded, all of a sudden he he was in a prison. And I said, well, how did they convict the guy? And he said, well, there was a hearing. I think it happened on the same afternoon they picked him up while he was unconscious. <laughs> Cliff ended up in prison. <laughs> I was, got a call from the guy that was assisting us with the airline down here. I'm not going to give you his name. Who was the head guy in the industry, okay, in the government side of it, who said, don't talk to Cliff anymore. Okay? Don't talk to anybody anymore. And if you ever let this story out, okay, you're going to be gone. And, and you might as well, you better forget what's going on in the Marianas Islands as well. Yeah. And I said, well, you got it, mate. Fuck it. I don't care. Okay? Now, there's other people. I can do more in the story to fill it in. But basically, it boils down to is Cliff got deeper and deeper and deeper in trying to do the right thing. Yep. He was trying to get shipping so he could do philosophy. He put yep. ton this is the missionary zeal coming out. I wanted to do the, the good thing for the people sort of thing. Except, of course, that uh, he failed to grasp the realities of life in the Pacific Islands. Yeah, because he's a missionary. He yeah. didn't have a clue. He was just trying to do the right thing. He was just... A good guy, but yeah. when people started getting killed in Sydney, um, when 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 Conley put the word that we wouldn't live a whole long long time. Yep. Um, and then there was the arms deal. Shit, there was an arms deal that came out of that thing too. I mean, there was the arms deal that came out of Sydney. That was all another part of it, you know, where it was like they said, "Look, we'd like you to be part of this arms deal." And Cliff said, "No, we don't do arms." And they said, "No, we just want you to ship the stuff. We'll give you a really good deal on it." And uh, when Cliff declined, um, basically they, his agent in, I can't remember where it was, one of his agents in one of the islands ended up dead. Yep, one of Cliff's agents. Mm -hmm. 
So we handled the shipment. You know, there was a lot of that shit going on. What was it? Yeah, it was, um, as far as we know, it was just rifles yeah. and, and light, light armored light armored weaponry, you know, like, like um, uh, what do they call them? Laws? Light armored weapons. Yeah. And destined for? Actually, this, this stuff was all destined for, um, this was going into the, into, was it, was it, the, it was Japan? It was one of the Asian ones, I can't remember. And there's some pretty wonky deals that went on there. I mean, there were shiploads of art. We, we, I mean, it, it was one point where Cliff was taking a shipment. We were taking a shipment. We were told to take a shipment of vanilla and all these different products from Tonga that were going to be sold or already bought in Indonesia. There wasn't anything on the boat. To Indonesia. So it was a paper trail rather than anything else. Yeah. But the ship needed to be there to create the um, entry and exit. Yep. Got there, tokens got stamped, nothing got offloaded, okay? Monies were paid, okay? Yep. And then the ship went back. Okay. So there was a, I mean, that was standard stuff. And that was what was envisaged with the, with the airline, with Royal Tonga. <coughs> the other part was the surveillance part of Royal Tonga, because Royal Tonga at that point, you think about it, it had the biggest network across the Pacific of any airline. Its rights were the biggest of all the airlines. It still is to this day. But the, the rights are just huge. You know, we went to Seattle, you learned. Peking, you know, anywhere. Well, if you've got those rights and you've got the place to put in the air, you can go, those planes can go anywhere. Okay? And, and there's two airports in Tonga, in Nukalofa. There's the international, and then the other, there's the other one. And the other one is just as, is, is more sophisticated than the, the international one. Doesn't get used a lot. But it's still there, and that's the one that's used, and that's the one that has the vault. Yeah. The end of it for, for the transfer of stuff. Yeah. But to our knowledge, I think Cliff and I tallied it up. There was something like five or six people murdered during this whole process. Um, the amount of the amount of money that, that got transferred around was astronomical. It was all LCs, PBNs. It was Wells Fargo Bank. It was Bank of America. Were the two big banks into it? Citibank was into one. Mitsubishi was up to their ears in it. <laughs> Asian Development Bank was up to their bloody ears in it. <laughs> so there's basically part of the storylines. Okay. Now, in terms of the New Zealand angle, because that's going to be an interesting little plot line, that one, how did he fit into it? Well, the Australian angle is we were nothing more than, than Australia, New Zealand was supporting us in terms of getting the airline on the ground, up, up, up in the air, yeah. right? And helping to secure the landing rights and making sure we were conformed to FAA and all that sort of, well, the guy that we were working with, okay, was CIA. He wanted that airline up there. He wanted it in, okay? And the money, the, all the money, and all we were doing was that we were providing the service to fly the money out of the cooks. That's all there was. See, all Cliff and I were doing were providing the, the, shipping to, the shipping of the actual money, not the documentation, the money, okay? So it was like, right, it's sitting up there in the cooks, not a problem, plane flies in, picks up a few customers, who cares, puts money in the plane, and it flies to its destination. It was just a way of physically moving the money that all ended up in Colombia. Yep. See? And we were also part of bringing the dirty money back into the, back into the thing, into the laundry system. So this was because the um, drug deals in the States were done with hard dollars, those hard dollars actually had to be washed 
physically as opposed to just electronically. Yes. Yeah. Um, there had to be a paper trail to go through. Um, hence the Cook Islands, some of the other Pacific states, New Zealand, Japan, and all the rest of it form part of the laundry route, the physical laundry route, not just the thing. So that if USDEA came along and said, aha, we think these are narco dollars, we thought, hang on, no, this came from Cook Island, but fruit shipment that yep. went through to Tokyo and all the rest of that crap. Right. Am I with you? Yep. Okay. In other words, there had to be a real transfer of money to yeah. make the deal real. Yeah. And and that was the hardest part. You can you can wire stuff and disguise stuff and you can yeah. you know I mean you, you've got to just look, so look hard at no well, it. Wait, wait, didn't transfer anything there, did it you know, where's the mangoes that went from there to there? Okay. How did you get that or you know, how did this happen where there was a shipment that went to the Marianas and the money came from there? You know, it, it, how did you physically do it? And don't forget the money in the States is this every night every night they're handing drug money to dealers. Yeah millions and hundreds of millions of dollars. They're taking that and it goes to Colombia physically. Yeah. Now what? Yeah, exactly. What does Colombia do with it? Okay. Now, it has to come back into the United States for the American economy and the world economy to stay alive. Yep. Otherwise, if that was left to leave that way, how long before all of a sudden... We ran out of dollars. You ran out of money. Yeah. Okay. And you can't print more because that's inflation. Yeah. Okay. So how, who, needs to, who needs to physically get that money back more than anybody else in the world? U.S. Treasury. You got it. That's the whole point. And what Cliff and I did was we provided what you did with the paper trail and money moving to the Cooks and money moving to Tonga and money moving into into the Marianas, all through the Pacific region, which is one big laundromat. What we were was we were the physical transfer of money. You were the mules. We were the mules. We pallet loads of money. And when Cliff wouldn't play with the airline, Cliff knew too much. That's when Cliff got nailed. Okay. And I yeah, got this New Zealand guy was up there. Yeah. Cliff couldn't believe it. I can't believe it. And he was packing away from it. Yeah. Big 57 Magnum. Cliff said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I was heartbroken because he considered him to be his best friend. He's, you know, and, and I actually consider him to be my best friend. He's still down here. He's still here. But he's integrated into that thing because he... Tonga couldn't get FAA standing yeah. on its own right. It had to have an ally. Basically, New Zealand and Australia are sort of the uh, parents of the Pacific Island states, so it's logical that uh, if you want um, that sort of official handle over these people that you work through New Zealand and Australia. New Zealand and Australia play ball, and they say, OK, we'll do that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look at the President of the United States is very friendly right now with Australia. OK, what's the biggest service Australia could provide? Just think about what Australia could do in terms of laundering money, making sure that it went through the Pacific, who puts the aid into the Pacific? Who puts the money into the Pacific? Who controls the Pacific Islands? It's Australia and New Zealand. At the end of the day, the French, they're not they're of little consequence, actually, in the whole scheme of things. New Zealand and Australia are the key to it. If you look at how much money has gone into the Cook Islands, that's a lot of money, right? Where did it come from? Yeah. Is New Zealand really forking out the money? Is it really? The economy would have been pretty well devastated. The other problem is, is that, okay, once it's in the cooks in that huge big vault that's there, where does it go there? Okay? That's what we did, and that's why people died in the process, and that's why, because we were either, one way or the other, we were either building the, helping build the laundromat with the casinos, and, and prime bank notes, and LCs, and all that sort of stuff, and we knew all about the cook. Confessions of an American Spy continues in a moment. Imagine a world where TV reporters actually gave you the facts, not an agenda. 
a world where interviewing your keyboard was seen as workplace humor, not a compulsory job requirement. This year, one man will break through the BS. One man will wring the truth out of truthiness. One man will leap tall buildings at a single... More stimulating talk radio. The Ian Wishart Show on Live365.com. Talk radio for grown-ups. Coming up on the next episode. I got a hold of a C-130 and flew into Singapore. They wanted it there in the middle of the night and just drove the armored trucks right up into the plane and landed in Tonga and then unloaded the trucks and took off again. It was all, it was gold. But Faye was handling New Zealand. Sort of when I met with the underground people, the CIA guys, that they said, fine, we'll let you do it. But you gotta, you know, it's got to be tied to the uh, hostages. These guys bring in these boxes, it's supposed to be all this money, and next thing you know, there's a 357 in my head. Adam Brown's throwing me on the floor. Man, you are under arrest. Great Saxon Berlin, Confessions of an American Spy, is an Ian Wishart podcast. Follow Ian Wishart on Facebook or Twitter or through your podcasting service. I see you suffering in silence is No!